everybody. So this is our after show to uh, our podcast on scaling unicorns in a remote first world. Uh, I have with me Kat from our uh, chief of staff team. Um, I'm Jonathan Siddharth, CEO and founder of Turing. And we're going to reflect on today's conversation that we had with Sandesh from Prem Invest on the topic of scaling unicorns in a remote first world. Um, and in the after show, we'll reflect on what we learned from, from the conversation and just have a freewheeling uh, discussion. Um, so Kat, um, what stood out to you in the, in the chat that we had with uh, Sandesh today? Yeah, excited to get started. First off, Sandesh was so insightful and gave a lot of wisdom in terms of scaling startups um, from his vantage point with over a decade of, or about a decade of experience um, in venture capital. One thing that stood out to me was how he emphasized uh, a few times that culture is so important for leaderships as startups get scaled. Yep. Um, and then actually, Jonathan, turning it back to you, I know culture is also very important at Turing. Yep. How have you thought about, you know, culture at Turing and especially Turing being a remote first company? Yeah. Uh, so I, it, it, the, the Sandesh's point on culture really resonated with me. Uh, and the first thing I thought about was the need to write things down, like in terms of what your culture is or uh, what you'd like your culture to be. Right? For a high growth company like Turing, there's so much culture we import relative to the size of the company at any point. I feel like if you don't write down the kind of company that you want to build, sometimes like things kind of get set by accident. So the thing I think a lot about when it comes to culture is um, step one is thinking through the, the culture, core values, like how you want people in the company to work, make decisions, write it down. And that's still just step one. Step two, which is the harder part, is to um, communicate and make sure that um, the culture that you want is the culture that is being lived in the company. Mm -hmm. so I think a lot about how do we, um, for example, at Turing, you know this, uh, Kat, like we have, uh, we have a culture of moving fast, working only on big needle moving things, not incremental things, being very data-driven in our decision-making. I think a lot about how do we reinforce that in our hiring, in our, in our hiring, firing, and promoting? Do we live those values or is it just a doc that lives somewhere that you know, the, the CEO wrote a long time back that people kind of just read and is that it? So I feel like step one is writing it down. Step two is actually ensuring that we are hiring based on the values that we write down and we are, our day-to-day -day execution reflects, reflects that. Yeah. And I'm curious, like, do you, how, how do you see the, 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 the second piece of, um, uh, of, of, uh, of the puzzle, like making sure that we live those live those values. Like, do you see that at Turing today? Like, like what do you see as things that we could do uh, that would be that could be better? So I do think that culture does come from leadership, and something that I've seen um, that works well at Turing, and hopefully this <laughs> this advice can help other companies as well. Is um, you host these CEO roundtables. And this is for a lot of the leadership um, within the team where we actually transparently talk about this culture. Um, and we, I think another thing that is a strength here is like, you've asked everyone to bring in 
the best of something of somewhere else that they've worked at and like see how we can make it um, Turing. And so I see that in Turing, not only are we, you know, like living out our core culture, but we're also very open-minded to find the best culture um, and continuously improve and grow um, with the diversity of the team that we have across the world. Yeah, uh, that, that's right, Kat. Like, in fact, like uh, when I was speaking with our head of recruiting uh, this week, I was sharing with her how, um, as I mean, we have somebody who actually interviews for culture um, as <laughs> part of our leadership recruiting. And what I'd shared with her was a passing grade is when somebody um, fits the culture that we want. That's a passing grade. Like we have a four point scale of um, strong reject, weak reject, weak accept, strong accept. Um, so three out of four is like you, you, you fit our culture, but we want more than that ideally. We want somebody who's bringing something amazing to our culture that we can imbibe and become even stronger and improve. That's when you go above three. Um, and I think reinforcing that in hiring is, is, is also important to make sure that um, your team has the values that you, that you care about, particularly true for leaders, because when you hire a leader, like I, 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 I think about how in the blink of an eye, given how fast Turing's growing, we're going to have like many, many clones of this person, like in their org and whatever strengths or weaknesses they have, it's going to be like magnified and massively leveraged and amplified. So yeah. no, I'm very, um, I'm, I would say I'm much more careful about culture fit um, and being more strict about um, holding the line on culture fit, like not to hire people who don't fit our culture than I used to be during the early days of Turing. Mm. So that relates to something else that stood out to me in our talk with Sundesh. He mentioned that at each level of scale, oftentimes as a founder, you need to up-level or transition um, the leadership group. And I yeah. think overall, when I heard it, I thought it was a bit of a taboo or like sensitive and emotionally fraught topic. How do you think about this? How, what has your experience on this had? How, how, how has it been? And do you have any tips for that change management piece? Yeah, yeah. And it, it's definitely a taboo topic, right? Like because, yeah. And he alluded to it too, like CEOs tend to be loyal to the team that brought them here. And, and that's like a bias to, to, um, to be aware of. Um, I, I typically, firstly, I typically hear like, and, and for this particular topic, we are primarily talking about the exec team, like my directs um, or a CEO's directs in a, in a company. And typically uh, what I hear from a lot of people is that the success rate for an exec is actually pretty low mm. in general. Like, I've heard people tell me that 50% of the time you should assume an exec doesn't work out in the first six months. Wow. And I hear this from multiple, I've heard this from multiple people, like multiple uh, VCs in, 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 the, in the past. Um, and it, it's always like an unsettling sort of uh, uncomfortable sort of stat or um, uh, to hear. Um, and the way I think about sort of uh, what's the, how I think about this change is there are a few sort of mental models you can have. One mental model I have is um, firstly to do what creates business value to make sure that the company's value is growing with the steepest possible slope, right? Like do what's best for the business. That's, that's a high level sort of directive to make mm -hmm. sure that the value of the company is, is growing over time. 
And to do that, like uh, one way to one one question to ask yourself at some times is, if you were hiring for this role today, would you still hire this person? Uh, that that's that's one one way to one way to think about it. Um, the uh, to to check whether whether this would work, this would work or not. The third is like with every exec, I think about their strengths. I think about their areas for improvement and everybody has areas for improvement. Like I have areas for improvement that I work on. And, I, and in places where they have an area for improvement, are they aware of it? Are they working on it? Are they receptive to feedback? Are they coachable? Are they either working on it to fix it by changing the way they work or are they uh, open to uh, fixing it by uh, with the right kind of hiring to maybe complement their their blind spots or their weaknesses. If you if when when that is not true, when the person is not aware of the gap that exists and is in, unable to change that, uh, then I would think about either layering that person or changing the responsibilities of that person. It's rare that you would have to fire that person. Because, because they've clearly been good enough to get the company to, to this particular stage. Mm-hmm. Okay, there is a, there is a way to, um, to find another role for them that could, be, that, could, that could still be value generating for the company. Although realistically, I imagine in most of these cases, the person would probably decide to leave or choose to leave. Uh, and in those cases, I do, if that were to happen, like I think in those cases too, it's important for the CEO to, be grateful for all the contributions that this person has made to help the company get to the stage. And I would, like, if, if I were doing this with someone, like, I would make sure that this person has a great sort of um, uh, next next uh, job, next opportunity lined up, and I would do everything that I could do to set them up there. Because it is the case that some people are probably better suited for, they could, somebody could be a superstar at the zero to 50 million revenue stage. Uh, but maybe the fifty to um, maybe the fifty to five hundred million stage is not like their their sweet spot because it is a different job. It's a different job. You you your responsibilities change. Like Sandesh referred to, people, processes, repeatability. Yeah. It is a different type of job. You can't be as hands on as you were in the zero to fifty stage. And some people may not enjoy it as much. Maybe they like the zero to zero to uh, the zero to one phase more than the one to one. And it's not that they are doing anything bad. It's just that their strengths are at that stage. It's like a rocket that's like headed to the stratosphere that needs different stages. And perhaps their strength is primarily in that stage one. And they'd be, a company would love to have them at that, at that, at that stage one phase. And maybe it's a, it's a way of finding, finding the right fit where they are happy and it's also good for the company. So it's, it's a tricky conversation to have. I think that's a great framework to have because in a topic that seems so hard to touch because of the emotional aspects, when you add a framework, um, and I think like you mentioned in the interview with Sandesh, it's like, not only are you doing what's best for the company, but like that means like you're have, you're helping the overall shareholders, including like the people, those leaderships with equity. Um, You're helping the whole ecosystem as well as like, you're making sure that they're set up for the best thing for them, which may not be, you know, the next level of scale necessarily. That's right, Kat. And one other thing I think about is uh, when I have conversations with, with, with uh, leaders, 
in a high growth startup, like people should assume that their roles will evolve and change over time. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, when the company is growing, we you kind of expect your own scope and responsibilities to grow too, if you're doing well. But uh, I think it's important for the um, for leaders to set expectations that roles will evolve, reporting structures will change, will constantly be in a change of, um, constantly be in a state of um, continuous self, um, continuous improvement of the org itself, uh, perhaps like once every, perhaps twice a year or once a year, because mm -hmm. for a company that's growing as fast as, as we are, like something that worked um, a year back, like may not necessarily be the right structure now. And I think it's important for, to set that expectation early so people are not, not surprised. In fact, it's a, it's a healthy company when, when, those, when, when a company is continuously editing itself in the best possible structure for that stage of growth and that stage of, uh, stage of the business. For sure. And then Jonathan, as the CEO and founder of Turing, I have a few questions about you know, being a founder. Yeah. So the first one is in terms of when Turing is growing and scaling, like it rapidly has been the last couple of years, how do you approach your personal change? And like you mentioned for exactly like the change in roles and responsibilities um, and even mindsets, like how do you grow? How do you learn this uh, with each stage? Yeah, so um So I uh, keep like a, so I, I kind of work backwards from um, where I would like the company to go this year in mm -hmm. terms of scale, growth, et cetera. And then I work backwards from, okay, what are all the risks um, to, to plan to get there? Where are all the gaps? Um, and then I map it to, to address those gaps. What are some areas where I need to uh, up-level myself in. Uh, and then I seek out specific mentors uh, and uh, I, I seek out specific mentors. I, I read a lot, as you know, um, and I think about working on those specific areas of scale to, to, uh, to make sure that I'm scaling at least a couple of years ahead of phase for the company. Um, mm -hmm. the, it does get uh, a little more... Um, challenging as you as you grow and as you scale um, I think there are a lot of people to, to who can who can give who can offer great advice to go from zero to one million like which is an important milestone or one to ten million um, I think as the company scales one thing I find is that it's um, it uh, as you as you grow and reach a certain scale like it, it feels a little bit like doing a PhD in a field where after a while, you've, you've gone pretty deep down the rabbit hole in one specific area. And for many PhDs, they might be the only people in the world who are exposed to that problem or thinking through that problem. Yeah. Um, so I try to decouple a, a few, few areas. Like, for example, um, with leadership, with management, with scaling teams, uh, with culture, with, um, with many aspects of a CEO's role. Like, um, how do you create a plan for the company? How do you ensure excellent execution? How do you recruit great execs? How do you retain great execs? Um, how do you work well with the board? Um, how, do you, how do you find the right, um, how do you work with your investors in the right way? So 
I, I seek out excellent mentors for each of that. And it's almost like I have a Yoda for each, uh, each specific skill. And occasionally I make my, make my pilgrimage to uh, Dagobah, which is sort of an <laughs> Empire Strikes Back, this island where Luke meets Yoda. So I go there and I, and, I, and I try to learn from people who've done this at scale. And I try to absorb as much as I can and apply, make the changes needed to apply that to Turing situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's all about the mindset of being in a state of continuous learning and continuous growth. Um, it, it has its positives and negatives where I feel like on the negative side, like it may feel like you're always being self-critical. So you kind of have to balance that with reminding yourself of all the good things that are yeah. also happening with the, with, with the company and, um, and, and taking, taking that time. But it's identifying function-specific mentors. Firstly, identifying areas you need to work on um, for this year. Yeah. Function-specific mentors, books, uh, and other resources. Um, and being in a state of continuous learning. Like whenever I meet someone, I think about what I would learn from this person. Um, and making sure you're, you, you are, uh, you're surrounded by the right people that you can learn from. For me, one test of any exec I've hired is, uh, what can I learn from this person? Like this person has to have a spike somewhere. They are much better than me at, at something. And there's a part of me that's like, okay, I want to, I, I want this particular superpower that this person has. Like I want this person on my team so that I can um, sort of elevate myself in that, in that particular area. Yeah. And I've seen that from my role as well. It's like um, yourself as well as the execs and even like the advice you get from the board as well as like the investors. Um, I think just being open-minded and surrounding yourself with really good people um, led to a lot of really good decisions um, within the company. Yeah. For example, Kat, like when I, when we work together, my, my, uh, so for me, the, the superpower that I want to steal from you is the, is excellence in structured communication and structured thinking. Like I feel like with you, when I have a, when I have a meeting, it's like there is uh, very little that drops through the, that falls through the cracks, right? It's like, there is a, there is a, there is almost perfect information capture from a meeting and what next steps should happen. Like the, and uh, so that's one of, one of, one of many things that I, that I like about working with you. I appreciate it. (laughs) Something learned from consulting days. (laughs) Um, and then the other question I had as uh, you as a founder is the same question posed to Sandesh. What for the future founders um, listening to this, um, including myself, what do you think are the most important skills or traits to develop? Um, I think Sandesh mentioned uh, resilience, right? Um, the I think resilience is a great trait. Um, um, in terms of traits, I think, um, I don't know if it's, if it's um, something you develop, like obviously you have to be very ambitious. I think most founders are. Um, and you need a strong bias for action and speed and kind of be unstoppable in terms of finding your way around obstacles. Um, I think it requires a lot of persistence. Um, the In my first company, I learned... The, the value of uh, persistence. I don't know if it's a feature or a bug, whatever it is, I have it. Um, and, and I was fortunate to work with a great co-founder. Vijay has been phenomenal and it's been great partnering with him on two companies. 
but for me, like one of my biggest, uh, I don't know if it's a feature or a bug is, is persistence. Like my first company like took about nine years to, to get to a, to a good, good acquisition. Uh, I think persistence is, is important. Uh, I think, I think it's important to be uh, in a continuous learning, continuous improvement mindset where you're always looking for ways to keep better, keep getting better day after day, week after week. Um, you kind of have to balance um, uh, confidence with caution. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously you need a lot of self-confidence um, in, your, in your ability to execute and build a great company. Um, but, but you also kind of have to be constantly scanning for your blind spots. Um, like in my, in my first company, I would, my approach was primarily, hey, um, here's what we need to build and here's how we're gonna build it. Let's go build it. it. It was a little more of what we need to do. Now I think not just about what we need to do to execute and win, win the market and build, a, build an iconic company. I think about all the things that can go wrong. I think about sort of all the ways this could fail and making sure we have a clear risk mitigation plan, contingency plan for all of those so that uh, I'm never surprised. Um, so I think a lot about redundancy and fail safes for different plans. And that it may seem pretty negative to think about all of that, but it actually gives me a lot of peace of mind when I know that, hey, here is our plan A, but you know, if something changes here, we have this plan B and there's a backup for this plan B, which is this plan C. So there's no single point of failure for anything. And it reflects in, in many other things. Like I always want to be in a situation where that I can walk away from if things are not good or things are not. And that means building good backup systems in planning. So in terms of what's a trait, maybe the trait is systems level thinking, thinking in terms of contingency planning, stuff like that. And, uh, and surrounding yourself with great people. I think that I'm fortunate to work with a great exec team uh, mm -hmm. a great co-founder, like all of that, like all of that is helpful. Um, so maybe the trait there is um, being the kind of person that strong leaders want to work for, right? Like the, and um, those would be, those would be my list. And it, it does take a lot of energy and a lot of, lot of work. Like it's not, uh, it's not easy. And it's very important to also have a good personal support system. Like my, my wife, Emily is amazing. And I don't think it's very easy uh, uh, to to be married to a to a founder CEO, and it, it's um, and I think like for everyone, I think it's good to have a good personal support system, like outside of work. Uh, that's something that I've realized, and that's really helped me also um, focus really clearly on Turing and, and uh, help the company get to where it needs to go. Amazing. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of what you said, it all, not all, but most of it also ties into resiliency, not yes. just like resiliency for yourself and all the systems to build upon that and help create further that, but also yeah. like resiliency in your company and um, having that, you know, extend to your company. Yeah, I think he's all gram of uh, Y Combinator called it, uh, he was thinking of a phrase to describe founders and his, he came up with relentlessly resourceful. So Paul Graham of Y Combinator. That was his. That was his 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 phrasing of what it takes. But but and I'll say this with this: like all of us have blind spots. It's possible I'm missing some stuff here too. This is like from my 
experience so far. I'm sure if you ask me the same question a year or two from now, I would have probably added a few more things that I want to add to this. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, I think we're also about at time. Was there anything else from Sandesh's um, interview that stuck out to you that you want to emphasize before we wrap up? Um, there was one thing that I thought was interesting, which was, I, my question was, what is different in a post-unicorn scaling stage that you want people to be, to be mindful of? He said it's, um, in most markets, the first 20% is easy to get, the next 80% is tough, and you might, although there won't be like a clear line that you cross where you're like, oh, we have to do something different now you kind of have to continuously track um, what's the, what will help us unlock this next more challenging segment of the market, this next 80%. Do we have to do, is there something different in this customer segment? Are the objections different? Do we have to, does the product need to change? Does the sales process need to change? Does, it, does, does the GTM need to change? And recognizing the fact that you may need to make some changes, what, Again, what got you here may not be what gets you to that next stage. And making sure that you make the right changes to attack that. Um, so having this nuance to growth, it's not homogenous, it's probably stage-wise. And, it, it, and perhaps it's not even 20 and 80, maybe it's the first 20% is different, the next 40% might be different, and the next 40% might be different, could be something like that. That made me think about just being aware of it and being open for it when it happens and keeping an eye on it. And he said, you first hear it and sense it in the GTM function. So I'm gonna keep, keep my eyes and ears peeled to, to make sure that um, we, we, we see that and react to it optimally. Yeah, that was really good advice. And then how to balance that, like seeing that while you know, still concentrating on your core business and the balancing act there. Yeah, that sounds great. Great, this was fun. I mean, this was our first after show for these uh, how to scale unicorns in a remote first world. Do you think we should keep doing this? I enjoyed this. Um, loved learning more about your perspective and diving deeper into Sandesh's uh, words and wisdom and making it a bit more actionable. That sounds great. And for all founders, heads of engineering and others listening, if you'd, uh, if you'd uh, like to uh, spin up your engineering dream team in the cloud, hire pre-vetted engineers at the touch of a button, go to Turing.com. And uh, that message was uh, not sponsored by Turing. It was, it was organic. <laughs> cool. Uh, thank you, Kat. And we'll continue this with our uh, next segment. Thanks, Jonathan. Have a good one. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.